Good morning. I invite you, if you would, to turn to the book of Zechariah. That's in the Old Testament, pretty close to Matthew in the New Testament. So you can be turning there uh, this morning. Pew Bible, page 793, or the large print, page 943. Just before we read, though, um, worship group, band, team, Thank you for singing that song. What a great song of hope and uh, looking forward because Zechariah is that kind of a book as well. Wouldn't you agree that listening is like a really important part of uh, building a healthy relationship? Um, The prophet Isaiah experienced people not listening to him. As a matter of fact, when God called him, he said, no one's going to listen to you but I still want you to speak to them, speak my truth to them. Boy, what a happy, happy job. <laughs> so Isaiah spoke 250 years before, about 250 years before Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And he warned the people, you need to turn back to the Lord. You need to return to the Lord. You need to repent. You need to turn and go in a different direction. And they didn't listen. And it happened just like God said. Jerusalem was destroyed, swept over by the Babylonians. People were killed. People were scattered. People were taken captive. Surely the people are grass, Isaiah wrote. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It came true. God keeps his word. You know what's really happy about that, though? Seventy years later, God kept his word, and he stirred the hearts of the Persian kings, Cyrus, and then Darius and other kings, and they let the Jews go back to the land, just like God said, after 70 years, you're gonna, a remnant's going to come back, and they're going to rebuild the temple, and I'm going to bless them. And God gives all generations who live an invitation, whether Jew or Gentile, hear what the Lord says, return to me. And I will return to you. Let's hear God's word together. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Barakai, the son of Ido, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from all your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. I want us to do something. We did this on the winter retreat. So youth group, you you have a heads up. Worship team guys, the boys band, we have a heads up. I want you to repeat after me, okay? Scott Smith did us, and it's just a way to make you wake up, okay? Hear what the Lord says. Can you say that? Hear what the Lord says. Now, let's say that 
like we mean it, okay? Like if you're in a discussion with someone and, and you say to them, you're, you're not hearing what I'm saying. So say it like you want to convince somebody they need to hear what the Lord says. Can we do that? Okay, let's try it again. Hear what the Lord says. Awesome. Let's say it prayerfully, a little differently. Lord, help us to hear what you're saying to us. Can you repeat that with me? Lord, help us to hear what you're saying to us. And let's make it more personal. Lord, help me to hear what you're saying to me. Lord, help me to hear what you're saying to me. Father in heaven, open our eyes, the eyes of our soul, the ears of our hearts, to hear what you want us to hear today. Help us to understand it, Lord, so that we can live differently, so we can leave here with joy, so we can leave here with hope, so we can leave here with rejoicing, so we can leave here a different people who love you and want to serve you with all our hearts and all our beings. And we pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. So let's look at Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. These opening chapters take, are taking place about 520 years before Jesus was born. And if you look back to the book of Ezra, Ezra mentions Nehemiah, or excuse me, yeah, he mentions Nehemiah, but he also mentions Zechariah and Haggai in chapter 5, verse 1 of his prophecy. And by the way, you'll notice, and we're going to be turning there in a few minutes, that Zechariah and Haggai are uh, two prophets that were contemporaries. As a matter of fact, Zechariah spoke in the eighth month of Darius, in the second year of Darius, I'm sorry, the eighth month of the second year of King Darius of Persia, and Haggai's first prophecy was in the sixth month of Darius in his second year. So they were like back-to-back -back prophecies, one right after the other. Another neat little fun fact about Zechariah is his name means Jehovah remembers. Names meant a lot back in the Old Testament when they named people, and that's just a great name of faith. Jehovah, the Lord, remembers. I forget all kinds of things. I forget what I went upstairs to get. I forget when Leslie says, when you go to the store, pick up that. I got it, and I come home without it. His father, Berechiah, Jehovah will bless. What a positive promise. Blessings can be ours now, but the best is yet to come. Jehovah blesses. And then his grandfather, Ido. Jehovah adorns himself, or it might mean at the appointed time. Just great words, names that remind us of who God is. Something else about Zechariah, just so you know, Zechariah is to the Old Testament what the book of Revelation is to the New Testament. So it's apocalyptic. It's, it's talking about end times. It's talking about God unveiling truth, uncovering things. So there's visions in this book, and there's a lot of symbolic language and about future events, and the language makes it very difficult to interpret sometimes. It makes it challenging. But on top of that, it's messianic. So it talks a lot about Jesus. It talks about his first coming and his second coming. So it's a really important book to study. And it speaks a lot about the times of the Gentiles. 
If you know your Old Testament, you know that uh, like the book of uh, Kings and Chronicles, everything's dated by the, the kings of Israel or Judah. But you'll notice this book's dated by the Gentile kings, the Persian kings. And it was the time of the Gentiles. And we are still living in the times of the Gentiles that God predicted. So it's, it's that place in history. It talks a lot about Christ establishing his kingdom. Zechariah speaks a lot about the near future for those people and the distant future that's still to come even maybe for us. So why study Zechariah? Because it's a message of hope. Because it's a message for people <laughs> who moved back to the land, but they weren't living the dream that they had dreamed when they returned to the land. Life was difficult. They weren't living happily ever after. Their faith was weakening, and they, weren't, they were not obeying the Lord. They were ignoring the Lord's commands. As a matter of fact, the big deal is they quit working on the temple, and they were busy paneling their family rooms and buying big screen TVs. Just to put it kind of in contemporary terms, they forgot what their mission was. So why study Zechariah? Because it's for people like us. Because they were discouraged, they were small, they were weak. And God sent messengers to them to have them return back to the Lord. Return to me, return to my purposes. And if we were to do a quick reading about, uh, of Zechariah, we might think that God's main concern was that they rebuild the temple. It wasn't it at all. His main concern was that their hearts would be renewed, be rebuilt. Amazing days were ahead, and God speaking hopeful words to them and to us. So are you feeling frustrated in your life right now? This book's for you. Are you worried about the future and life situations? Are you struggling spiritually? Then this book is for you. Don't believe your earthbound view of your life. Get God's picture. Take a look at where God is taking us, people of God, and be excited and get back on track with what he says. The temple was going to be so small and less glorious that they were rebuilding. And God says, you don't know anything about this temple. I have plans for it you can't imagine. See, we happen to know that something glorious happened in that temple that they couldn't imagine. Do you know what it was? The Messiah would walk in it. Jesus walked there. He worshiped in that temple. He prayed in its courts. He taught there. And when he died on the cross for our sins, the veil of that temple was rent. They couldn't see it. But God says, Hear what I'm saying and return to me. Do the work I've called you to do because glorious things are coming. So that's verse 1. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 together. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. This was a call to repentance. 
You ever get tired of hearing the word repentance? It's definitely a church word. <laughs> it's a religious word. You don't hear it outside church walls too often or outside theological or religious uh, conversations. We may get tired of hearing about repentance. Oh, no. He's going to talk to me about how I need to turn my life around, how I need to change, how I need to return to the Lord. I don't, need to, I don't want to hear another one of these downer sermons, the things I, I've been doing wrong and the things I need to do. Don't do this. Do do this. No. Uh, God, we may get tired of hearing it, but God never gets tired of reminding us that we need to repent. Would you turn back a page in your Bibles if you have them open or if, you have them on your cell phone. You're allowed to flip it back to Haggai chapter 1. Let me just read uh, verse 2 through 9. Because Haggai's saying the same thing. He's talking about to the same audience that Zechariah is. You need to rebuild the temple. Look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies, that is. The Lord Almighty. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and have harvested little and have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you've never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And, you, and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You ever feel like that? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. <laughs> See, when I was joking about our basements being paneled and, and the big screen TV, I wasn't too far off, was I? Two months later, Zechariah comes with a word from the Lord and says, return to me. You know what's amazing about what happened in Haggai? He spoke on day one of the sixth month, and on day 21, the people repented and started working on the house of the Lord. Wow. In 20 days, they heard God's word and obeyed. Now, a month later, a month and a half later, Zechariah comes and says, you need to repent. You need to return to the Lord. I thought they just did. What's that about? They're just like us. You've never gone on a winter retreat, have you? And gotten all excited about loving God and serving God, and then you go back to work or to school on Monday? and it's back to normal. Repentance, returning to the Lord, needs to be an everyday experience. The commentator Leupold explains it really well. I quote him. Every repentance, every return to the Lord is imperfect at best. 
It's an expression that requires deepening. It must be done more sincerely and thoroughly. A, dog, a godly life consists of perfecting repentance, always doing it more. So don't feel bad if you repented last week and you feel like you need to do it again. It's a constant thing. I've been told, because I don't know very much about it, but I guess our body cells, they're constantly renewing, right? Like, I got new skin from, I don't know, a few several days ago, but it's always changing. And if, and if your cells in your body aren't renewing, you're in trouble. It's the same spiritually, people. If we're not renewing our walk with God, refreshing our experience, our, our obedience, our, our coming and admitting our sin and our failures and our weaknesses and asking for God's help, then spiritually we're getting weak and we're, and we're not as strong as we think we are. I know we've been talking a lot about transition. I've been here three years, and you guys, a lot of you, have walked through a lot longer than that. We're always transitioning. You better always be transitioning. Always moving forward, always thinking about renewing, evaluating. Lack of vision and forgetting our mission for Christ are symptoms of not regularly repenting and returning to the Lord. Bad feelings toward others and bruised egos are symptoms of as my friend, late friend Art Yoner said, hardening of the harteries. Always returning to the Lord. And we get so used to our sickness, our weakness, and our disobedience becomes acceptable to our cold hearts because that's our human nature and tendency. And we always need to be coming back to the Lord who has saved us and forgiven us and ask him to strengthen us to help us become more holy. If you take time, and I would encourage you to do that, the prophet Haggai is only two chapters, so read it with Zechariah. Read them together because they go together. You hear a lot of things just like the book of Revelation. Remember, Zechariah is to the Old Testament what the book of Revelation is to the New Testament. And the churches in, in Revelation, those first two, three chapters, really needed to repent and return to the Lord. Most of them were very unhealthy. And that's what was going on here. And we need to hear it. We don't realize how pathetic our lack of fruitfulness is before the Savior. We think we're healthy and we're lukewarm, blind, and poor, and we don't even know it. But God graciously reaches out and says, come back. In verse 2, it says, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Why was God angry? What's neat here in the Hebrew, it says, angry was the Lord with anger. That makes sense. So he was really angry. He was angry with what? With their clothes? With their jobs? No, he was angry with their ways. 
Their daily practices were evil. They were on the wrong path. They were on the wrong highway, and they chose to stay there. And God graciously sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and they ignored it. They didn't listen. And this generation that Zechariah is speaking to was in danger of doing the exact same thing. They were not listening. You know, it shouldn't surprise you and me that God gets angry. Are you surprised that God gets angry? You shouldn't be. He's a holy God. He's righteous. He's just. He never, he's always fair. He always does what's right. He never has mixed motives. I don't know that I ever do anything pure. Maybe once in a while I do something with pure motives, but it's mostly I'm hoping somebody notices what I did. There's always these things. I hope I have a good sermon. Is that for me or for you? Well, I say it's for both. <laughs> But I always have mixed motives, but God never does. So he gets angry when we're unholy. You know what should surprise us about God? That he's patient and merciful. That he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, it says in Psalm 103. We deserve a lot worse, and he's so patient. I mean, for 400 years... The Israelites were warned that God was going to punish them and take them captive, and it finally happened. It shouldn't surprise us. What should surprise us is that God is so patient. And Zechariah is here saying, hey, don't forget, God's gracious, but he's also a consuming fire. So he starts his prophecy out, Zechariah does, with really strong words. Don't avoid repentance. Don't be embarrassed about repenting, about turning back to the Lord, admitting to one another that we've sinned. The main need of the people here was not a rebuilt temple, but rebuilt hearts. I love what Brian Gregory says. The temple is being restored, and that is splendid. But the work on the temple would become a monument to folly unless it was accompanied by spiritual reconstructed hearts. Can I just bring it into 2020? So here we are, Grace Chapel. We're in a good spot. A new mission with a new vision, refreshed vision for what God would have us do. And what a folly it would be to make new plans and have new programs and have new direction and new energy. And we bring along the same old bad habits, spiritual habits. What a folly that would be. See, God's ways are ways of mercy. God's angry. But his anger is only for a moment. His mercy is for forever. So why wouldn't we come back admitting our sinful ways? God's calling out to you and to me, return to me. Repentance isn't some, oh, no, we got to do that again. It's a call back to a relationship with the God, the creator of the universe. It's like God yelling out to Adam in the garden, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Come back and be with me. Martha, Martha, you're so agitated and upset at your sister Mary. Martha, why don't you just come and sit at my feet and be with me? 
That's what the invitation is. Come back to me and be with me. Be in relationship with me. Come follow me. Yes, it's going to include a cross, but don't be afraid to give up all your toys because the best is yet to come. Believe what I say about the future, that it's worth sacrificing now for forever. It's worth it. Hear the prayer of David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I want to be with you. Help me to want to be with you. That's what God's inviting us to. The regular rhythm of God's people should be returning to the Lord. I've been hammering this a while. I need to move on. But let's just, can I just say this? How do you know if, are we, a, let me ask, oh, sorry, let me get my thoughts. Are we a people of repentance? And how would we know we are? Some of you have been taking the peacemakers class. So the principles there of striving and making every effort to keep unity and confessing our sins to one another and going to one another when we've been hurt or we have hurt others, going to one another, prayerfully petitioning God, hearing God's word and turning in new directions, those are signs that we are a repenting congregation, that we are practicing it personally and corporately. God always makes the first move. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you. Hey, wait a minute. That sounds like he says, you got to move first. Now, he moved first because he sent Haggai and Zechariah to, warn, to tell them that they needed to return to him. God always moves first. It was like that in the garden. Adam and Eve were hiding after they sinned. God came seeking. God's waiting for us to move. He invites us, and when we do, he's ready to welcome and receive us. He graciously sent the prophets. He's waiting. That's the good news. That's the gospel. It's called provenient grace, coming before grace. If God doesn't move toward us, we will not move toward him, but he is always moving toward the world. Ephesians 2 reminds us about that, right? Many of you are familiar with those verses. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God, the Spirit awakens my heart. God, the Spirit works so that I can be born again spiritually. I was once dead to the things of God. Now I can be alive to God when I receive Christ, when I turn to God and ask for forgiveness, believe that Christ died for my sins. He was raised to life, and he gives us that life. 
God's word begins to capture our attention because he's at work and he quickens us, but we have to respond. We sang about it this morning. Did you catch that? Those words that pointed us to the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. God's the one who's always looking. Picture humanity, we're lost, and God comes looking. He searches, he rescues, he rejoices when we're found. He forgives, he makes us heirs, he clothes us with things, with clothes we don't deserve, the lost or the prodigal son as it's known. A perfect picture of us. We take our Father's gifts, God the Father's gifts, and we waste them, spend them on ourselves, go our own way, and then the lost son comes to his senses, and he turns to the Lord. He remembers his father's ways. He remembers how well his father treats his servants. And he humbly admits that he didn't deserve mercy, and he comes to his father, and his arms are open wide, and all he finds is mercy and forgiveness. So never forget that story. Some of you are so familiar with that story that we look over, but, we, and don't, but don't miss the impact. Here it's truth when you sin again and again and do the same thing again and again. Know that the Father is waiting for you to come to your senses and to return to him and admit you've made mistakes, that you've sinned, that you've gone your own way, that you've wasted all his grace and his goodness, that you think you're smarter than he is, that your way's better than his ways. Admit your error and hear its truth that you've squandered his gifts. Come to your senses and he will receive you with open arms. Hear what God says. Should I make you say that again? Hear what the Lord is saying. Come to me, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts, says the Lord of the armies of heaven, says the Lord Almighty. Do you know who's inviting you into this life? It's incredible when we think about it. So let's learn from history. Look at verses 4 through 6. Now, what's, how's that saying go? Those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. Guess what? We've repeated it. <laughs> I was looking, and I'm, I'm in the book of Acts. No wonder I can't find the verses I was looking for. <laughs> Let me get back to Zechariah. <laughs> Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Wow. God's word is always fulfilled. Just remember that, okay? It's going to come true. God's word stands because God is unchangeable. It will be fulfilled. Where are your forefathers? I said they would be punished. I said I would throw them and scatter them in the nations. So where are they? Well, they're either dead 
or they're in captivity. They're not in the promised land. It happened just like I said it would. Oh, I was patient 400 years. They thought they were getting away with it and no one was noticing, but I noticed in it. My word came true. Where are your fathers? Is Israel dwelling in the land securely today? One day they will be. Where are the prophets? They spoke the truth, but even they're gone. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So God's word is always fulfilled and God's plans are always accomplished. I won't take time this morning to look at it, but if you're taking notes, write down Deuteronomy 30. It's where Moses reviewed the law and and God reviewed his promises and he just said, if you disobey, I'm going to scatter you. But when you return to me, because God knew they were going to do that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you secure in the land. I'm going to do all these good things for you. Hear the word of the Lord. Notice at the end of these verses, the first paragraph or so of Zechariah, verse 6, but my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, who repented? Not the forefathers, but the generation that was hearing Zechariah, the the returned exiles, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. Wow. They listened, and they began to find God blessing them in new ways. Jesus has spoken. And he said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the, see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Hear what the Lord is saying this morning to you. Oh, good. I have a couple minutes. A.W. Tozier If you've never read his book, The Pursuit of God, let me just say I recommend that book. It's really, I meant to bring a copy. It's really thin. (laughs) I read it about every three or four years in my own life because every time I read it, I find out how much further I need to go to pursue God. You'd think I'd know it by now after all these years, but it's, it's a great read if you've never read it. And I take these thoughts from him. We often have a difficult time believing what we can't see. We're just geared that way. I mean, in our Western culture, our our God is science and technology. We really believe that science and technology is going to save us, correct things. We believe that we can fix anything if we put our mind to it, if we research it. And, And, you know, in some regards, that's... You know what that is? That's a gift from God. 
The fact that we have people who can figure out things and make life better, and technology has made our lives better, but there's a dark side to it as well. We begin to believe it and trust it as if it's the God who made us. Many may deny, but God is real. He's the absolute, only absolute. Is that redundant? (laughs) He is the one unchangeable thing. He made all things, visible and invisible. All men are grass, but God's word remains because God remains, because he's the only eternal, unchanging, always present, not created being. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. As you're turning to Hebrews 12, I just want to read a verse from Hebrews 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for everyone. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who see him, who seek him. Do you believe that? Do you believe in God? How well do you know your creator? Would you invest more time in wanting to know this God who is inviting you to be with him? The one who can satisfy your deepest longings and give you meaning and purpose. He's real. He is very real. He is absolutely there. And he will reveal himself to anyone who will pursue him. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 18. This was a real experience. This was the Israelites. They were at Mount Sinai. The Mount Sinai experience. For you have not come to what may be For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heavens beg that no further message be spoke, excuse me, the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Context. Mount Sinai was the most real experience. Israel was at Mount Sinai. They were about to get the Ten Commandments, and God came down on the mountain, and it was shaking, and there was fire, and there was smoke, and there was thunder, and it was like an earthquake, and the people were terrified, and they said, don't say anything, God. We're terrified. Moses, you go up and speak with God. And Moses, remember, this is a guy who spoke to God at the burning bush and had the rod that opened up the Red Sea and did all kinds of miracles with it, struck the rock, and water came out this guy, even he was terrified. That was not a visual reality headset, people. That was real. Mount Sinai experience. You know what else was just as real? The following verses, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels and festive gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking." For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. 
as real as Mount Sinai was, Mount Zion, the city of Jerusalem that's in heaven, is just as real. And that's where you have come to, believer in Christ, now. It's just as real. I can't touch it. I can't hear it. I can't see it with my physical eyes. But you have eyes in your heart and your soul that can see it. And God's enabled you to see it. You have ears that can hear the truth of God that's speaking from heaven. And you believe it. You can taste and see that the Lord is good and experience him now. That is the God who is inviting us to return to him so that we can be with him and know him like you know one another in this room. Think about that. That's what we are being invited into. Let me close with these words from Jesus from John chapter 14. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. Verse 21, John 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, hears them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or reveal myself to him. Listen to verse 23. And Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you realize that God wants to be so intimate that he invites you into his home, his heavenly home? Right now, we can experience this God for real. We can touch him with the eyes and hands and hear him with our ears of our hearts. Hear what Jesus has promised to everyone who returns to the Lord. So like the remnant in 500 B.C., we need to hear the Lord of 2020 A.D. His invitation to return and believe. Hear what the Lord is saying. Return to me and I will return to you. Seek me and you will find me. Come into a deeper relationship with me and experience me now and forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our soul, the eyes of our hearts to see your glory. And to take hold of the heaven reality so that we are changed, so that we're different. Help us to believe and hear your word and to act differently. Let it make us be different people this week when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go home, when we fold the laundry, when we cook a meal, when we speak with other people. Lord, change us. Lord, we want to sit at your feet and know you. Let us see your glory and the power of your resurrection this week in our hearts and lives, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.